Welcome to our grandparents' teachings, a storytelling program hosted by Chuck Miller in collaboration with the Sitka Tribe of Alaska, Art Change, and KCAW. This storytelling program will help keep Clinkett stories alive through community education. Join us the first Tuesday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. as we celebrate the rich cultural heritage of this land. This next song that I'm going to share with you, I composed this song for my late grandmother, Sankata, Sarah James, in memory of her at her kuik that was held, our memorial potlatch that was held on November 15th, 2003. I wanted to compose a song, not as a sorrow song, I wanted to compose a song for celebrating my grandmother's life. My grandmother was a very influential person in my life, always told me to be proud of who I am as a Tlingit person, be proud of the name that I carry, which was her uncle's name, and basically taught me how to be a Tlingit man. And so I dedicated this song to her in her memory. And again, my late auntie Shkate, Jesse Johnny, helped me with the words to the song. The first verse I'll speak it in the language, our Tlingit language first, and then I'll translate it into English. When I come to see you, I can see the love glow for the children of the sea pigeon clan. The second verse is, Smile in Sarah. It is written already in our hearts how much you loved us, smiling Sarah. Thank you, children of the Koho clan. My grandmother was always fondly referred to by her friends as smiling Sarah, and so I incorporated it into the song. Ha hi ya hu he na ha hi hi ya na ha hi hi ya na ha hi ya hu he na ha hi hi ya na ha hi hi ya na ye he hi ya hu ayau hani aya ha hi ya hu he na ha hi Ha hi ya hu he na, ha hi hi ya na yeu he hi ya, hu ayau hani aya, 
itu wuha kuda kanca ya ikan kuagudi ihiti tak den taniat ki iana ha hi iana ha hi yahu hena ha hi iana yahu he iya hu ayau hani aya ha hi yahu hena ha hi iana ha hi iana ha hi yahu hena ha hi iana ha hi iana yahu he iya hu ayau hani aya ha tek de tuk skaujit i khusakhane tuk nakhadiyat ki jis khuakha smiling sarah tuk gunat chishkha itun de tani yew he ya hu ayau hani aya ha tek de tuk skaujit i khusakhane Smiling Sarah, Clach Gunnar, Chishcha, Itun, the Tani, Yew, Hey, Ya, Hu, Ayaw, Hani, Aya, Ha, He, Yaw, Hu, Hena, Ha, He, He, Yaw, So when I created Elizabeth Paradovich, Again, I felt like there wasn't material that would be meaningful to first-grade children or kindergarten children or preschool children. And so with that in mind, I sat down and I thought, I need to do a tribute to Elizabeth Paradovich where it would be easy to read and easily interpreted but still learn something about this great lady. When the United States purchased Alaska from Russia in 1867, they promised the Native Americans would have equal citizenship. In Alaska not so long ago, there was a young Clinkett lady named Elizabeth. Elizabeth was born on July 4, 1911. Elizabeth passed through womanhood. When she was old enough, she joined the Alaska Native Sisterhood. Elizabeth and her husband Roy moved to Juneau, where prejudice was everywhere. One day, she wanted to buy a home. She found out and could not believe when she was asked to leave. She and her husband, Roy, were hurt and confused. After listening to excuses of why they could not buy a home, they refused to accept the news. In Alaska not so long ago, there were signs everywhere that said, no natives, no dogs allowed. Meals at all hours, all white health, no natives allowed. Elizabeth wanted to make everyone aware these signs were certainly unfair. She set out to prepare and declare these signs were not to be anywhere. She and her husband, Roy, would prepare to fight all the laws they thought were unfair. At first, she felt strange to try to bring about change. Elizabeth was 34 years old and grand president of the Alaska Native Sisterhood when she appeared to address the legislature on behalf of the Anti-Discrimination Act. Senator Frank Whaley opposed the bill and said, I would personally prefer not to have to sit next to these Eskimos in a theater. Why, they smell bad. This statement made Elizabeth very sad. Elizabeth went before the legislature to speak on behalf of the Anti-Discrimination Act. When she spoke, she was powerful, and listeners thought she was wonderful. As she spoke, the senator sat spellbound. She spoke quietly, and there was not a sound. When she was finished with her speech, she got a round of applause. The Anti-Discrimination Act was passed 11 to 5 on February 16, 1945. Today we celebrate and salute Elizabeth Paratrovich Day on February 16th. Elizabeth 
the first Alaska Native female civil rights activist, died on December 1, 1958. All right, we just heard a wonderful poem entitled A Tribute to Elizabeth Paradovich by Pauline Duncan. And now we'll be listening to a project which is brought to you by her daughter, Crystal Duncan. I hope that you enjoy. Hi there. Thanks so much for inviting me. Let me first start off by introducing myself. And to translate, my Tlingit name is Gayetli. My English name is Crystal. I'm from the Igomoyedi, from the Brown Bear Clan, from the Valley House, which is situated in Angoon. I was born and raised here in Sitka, and I am the child of a raven frog, which means my father is originally from this area. He's Kiksedi, and I am the grandchild of a raven dog salmon. So thank you for inviting me to tell a couple of fun stories about this project that I worked on. I think the timing of this is is so appropriate because we're just following the birthday of Elizabeth Paradovich. She was born on July 4th, 1911, so Sigu Yogi That was her Tlingit name, Sigu Yogi Tlingit for happy birthday. And so this is so appropriate for us to honor women following her birthday. Yeah, so let's get started. This project was a grant-funded Building a Culture of Education. And so the title of the social media campaign, it was actually, we walk in the footsteps of strong Alaska Native women, and we uh, led it off with Elizabeth Paradovich. She, by far, is the most well-known of the group that we featured. And, and again, the goal was to build that culture of education in the Alaska Native community. And then we, we did that in a number of ways. But this one was to basically highlight and honor those who came before us so that people can see a pathway that they can follow because it's difficult to be the first to go. And so the university setting, um, this was the University of Alaska, and they certainly, they acknowledge that they're not retaining or graduating communities of color with the same success rate that they are uh, white students. And so they're trying to come at it through a multifaceted approach to improve those numbers because we all have a shared goal of ensuring that those who want an education have access to it and are successful as they pursue it. So this was probably one of the funnest projects that I was a part of throughout that grant cycle. Uh, Those are some pretty powerful statistics. Uh, If you could please tell us a little bit more about your project and how did it uh, impact you and who did you work with on the project? Of course, and I just want to make sure that it's known I worked in partnership with Leah Mason. So she was also under the same grant, and she helped put it into content format so that it could be used within the different school districts. So when they access it, they could print it and bring it directly into their classroom. And so she was so fun to work with. And we basically went and we started researching together to figure out and feature the awesome women that we were able to come up with. So just to go back to that, Elizabeth Paradovich Day, that's in February. And so we waited until Elizabeth Paradovich Day. And then through the rest of February, we chose each day to honor a woman or women within a certain group. And so it was neat to be able to narrow down and figure out who would be featured. And then um, that was one year we were excited to do it again, but then uh, both of us moved on by that point. But there are so many great women who have accomplished so much that our focus for this first time out was to find the first who had gone in different disciplines. So it it was an education entity that we worked for. So of course, we wanted to uh, draw pathways so that they could pursue an education to help them move into these areas. But we wanted to cover the whole track. So we were looking for things in sports, government, advocacy, educational achievements. So we were trying to make sure that this was across the board featuring different Alaska Native women. And so as you talk about um, what was the intent of this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull one of the quotes that we actually used as we are going through. And it was from Tracy Rector. And I actually found this when I was just personally looking and, and finding stuff on Google. This was well before that project had started, but her quote resonated so much with me at the time, but also the project that we were working on. And so she said, as a child, I was withdrawn and did not do well in school. None of the teachers seemed to mirror my own life experience, and I felt invisible. 
when we see ourselves reflected in others, there's a certain sense of acknowledgement and validation. Representation matters. Positive role models can shield light on potential paths to take in life and provide windows of hope. For those of us who had challenging upbringings, we need these lifelines and heroes. And so I guess if, if you want to know the intent or the goal of the project, it was to do that. It was to highlight our heroes and our lifelines throughout the Alaska Native community. And because it was Elizabeth Paradovich, it had that twist of uh, let's feature women for this. So we went to work on that. It, we learned a lot going through it. But I think Elizabeth Paradovich is the one that people know most about. She's very well known throughout Alaska. We have her on a coin. What we wanted to do is we wanted to say, these are other women like Elizabeth Paradovich. Here's what they do. Here's how they got there. And here's how you can follow in their pathway. So again, because it was done through UAS Sitka campus, uh, we, we found a program within the University of Alaska system. And we tied it back to say, if you're interested in following in this pathway, here's how you can start that journey. Uh, so it was it was probably one of my proudest professional achievements. It was just such a fun project to work on, and all of the women are phenomenal. But there were some that definitely stood out, and um, I think we can highlight through short stories today. I, I mentioned a, a lot of them are in government. A lot of them are in um, fighting for rights. There was there was one though that I found on Facebook. So you have to understand that most of these women. Like I said, they're not well-known, and so when we did a simple Google search, they didn't all pop up on that timeline. We had to be pretty strategic in how we found these women. I remember, um, one, the uh, first Alaska Native woman to finish the Iditarod. We Googled her, and then I went on Facebook to find her, and so I found a profile that belonged to that person. I clicked on the photos, and I saw Iditarod-related artwork, and I thought, oh, I think I found her. So I'm some weirdo reaching out to her in her Facebook inbox saying, hey, um, I work for the university. I'm wondering if we could feature you. And then the conversation started from there. So I'm sure it was the most random message that she got that week, month, or even that year. But she's been highlighted by uh, her regional corporations, which is not our regional corporation. So again, it's not that these women haven't been highlighted or honored previously. It's just we were trying to give it another way that folks in this area could come to learn about these women. So she was really fun to work with. I can't imagine. I would love the experience of riding on a sled dog, but to do it for over a thousand miles, it, it just it shows how amazing she is. Um, so she was probably the most random, um, trying to reach out and get in touch with someone. But if you look at the timeline, um, Elizabeth Paradovich, like we said, she's the most well-known, so we went with her. But if you want to trace back when these achievements happen, we had uh, Flora Jane Harper, who is actually the first Alaska Native, so not just Alaska Native woman, Alaska Native period, to graduate from a higher education institution with her bachelor's degree. Again, we were at University of Alaska, so we we're so excited to find this information. But look, this is back in 1935. So she was before Elizabeth, and then we had Elizabeth a decade later, and then there is a large gap that existed until more recently. So I think if we're looking at progress, we've made so much progress, but even in the last Within this time frame, if you look at the previous administration, we were so excited because Tara Sweeney, she was serving, um, she had been confirmed into the Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs, which is under the Department of the Interior, which is amazing for us. Alaska, we have over half of the tribes located here in our state. And we have had, um, certainly, that's a position that's held by Alaska Native or American Indian folks, typically. But we had never had an Alaska Native woman from Alaska move into that position until Tara happened. So we were super excited. That, to us, represented progress. But then um, look what happened. The next administration, we had uh, a Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, move even further up the chain. So we're talking about she is now overseeing the entire Department of the Interior, and this is within, again, this last decade. So, so much progress is being made. Deb Holland, she is American Indian, but she was also one of two to be elected into our House of Representatives at the national level. That had never happened before. 
So we really have to salute all of the progress that has happened since the time of Flora Jane, but recognize that by highlighting it and and paying attention to that, that we're making progress and that we need to continue to make progress because representation matters across all of these different disciplines, but we're actually a part of it. We're providing solutions. We're, We're able to recognize that we have a lot of work to go, and by working together, we're getting there. So another person who is really uh, poking at the glass ceiling would be Valerie Davidson. So she is officially the first Alaska Native woman to serve as lieutenant governor for the state of Alaska. And if you guys remember the timing of that, she basically moved in to finish out a term and then they were up for another election was right around the corner. So it wasn't a great length of time that she served in that position. But again, we need to associate a lieutenant governor position with an Alaska Native, and especially a woman from our community. And so that was exciting in itself. But I have to tell you, these people are are real and they're on the ground and, and they're a part of our community. So when it comes to Valerie, I guess um, I'm very partial because I work for Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium and she served as interim president for a good stint, but she's officially been made the president of that organization. And we need that type of leadership. So I'm excited because she is now steering an organization that oversees, I think it's 189,000 Alaska Natives who receive their health care services in partnership with that organization. So I'm not saying that every single one of those beneficiaries goes to that institution. What I'm saying is that they partner to provide those specialized services that can't be received in the community like like us. We have search. When we can't receive what we need at search, we go up to Anchorage to Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, and, and she's the one who is having the conversations about indigenizing our spaces and making sure that we're providing the highest level of health care. So she's such a leader in so many different aspects of her life, and I, I just appreciate that these women, not just her, but many of the other people who were featured they are there providing mentorship and guidance and positive affirmation to people because they know what it was to walk that pathway. And it was very difficult for them. But they, by serving in that role, are able to make it easier for other folks who are trying to follow. So I just I love that they exist and that they're there um, still serving in the communities, but also um, guiding the next generations. Probably the most... The one that hits closest to home would be our honorary doctoral recipients through University of Alaska Southeast. So at the time that we highlighted them, we had 10 women who had been uh, bestowed that honor, and that was amazing. We have since increased that to 11 folks, and uh, the newest one received her honorary doctorate this year, and it's my mother. And so that is why, of all of them, this is the one um, that hits closest to home. And this project was happening before I knew she was even being considered for that. But we just thought, you know, if you look at the people, the 10 folks who had been, um, they're from all over Southeast, so I'm thinking about Ketchikan, I'm thinking about Juno, but I'm also thinking about Cake and Sitka. We really needed their faces to resonate because these are our mothers, these are our aunties, these are our grandmas who are doing the legwork so that they would even receive an honor like this. And they are the pathway to say, you need to consider education. So, and and just to share further, um, who did I learn about Elizabeth Paradovich from? It, it actually wasn't in the school system. It was my own mother. She let me know that there was this lady named Elizabeth Paradovich, and here's what she did. So the poem that you read, that was one of the curriculum materials that she created in her classroom. And she made those available so that other classrooms, they can teach their students about whether it's Elizabeth Paradovich or Benny Benson. She also comes from the background of highlighting the accomplishment so that it becomes a reality for um, other folks who may not have known who those people were. So definitely I'm biased, but I'm so happy that they're continuing to increase the honorary doctorates, but also folks who are getting their doctorates, their masters, their bachelors, their associates, what have you. I need to see higher numbers going through education. And I don't mean to uh, take this on a a downward spiral, and I won't, but I will say uh, the number 215, that resonates with us right now. 
because there's a lot of talk around boarding schools and we say, yeah, but that was that was a hundred years ago. That was so long ago. I, I'm one generation removed from boarding schools. So my parents, um, we call it a love story. We say that they met while going to Manajgum, and the rest is history. But the reality is, if we're realistic about that, my father's experience of being forced into that boarding school is a really negative one. In our family, we we hold that trauma because we know what that story is. And so I'm glad that these conversations are happening at education institutions and within school districts because they say the door is open, come on in, but they can't quite recognize what those barriers are that make it so difficult. So this was, again, I don't think we solved anything by doing the social media campaign, but I think it was one way to kind of recognize that we need to highlight, we need to honor, and we need to make this um, accessible to the next generations who are coming up. So this was, again, one of the funnest projects that I've ever done. And, and I'm so glad that we're able to highlight it here and make it accessible after the fact so that people who might have missed out on it the first time around, they can go and they can find those resources to kind of learn more because this was a super quick summary about that. But we really went into um, trying to put together a, a two or three paragraph biography of uh, who are these women and what did they do? Why should you know them as a household name? And how can you share this information with other people in your community? So I appreciate the opportunity to share more. And I also want to uh, show a appreciation for inviting me here and interviewing me today because we know for me it's quite easy for me to come and talk about honoring women from my community but it's also super important because you offer balance today in that I introduce myself I'm from the Eagle Moiety I know that you are from the Raven Moiety I also know I'm female and you are male so together I appreciate that I've known you pretty much my entire life and that together we both hold up women who come and are paving pathways to make it easier for not only the sons, your sons, but also your daughter, Naomi. So I appreciate the opportunity. And again, I, I know we didn't go in depth on any of these, but I hope that this inspires uh, your listeners to go and find out more because these are pretty extraordinary women. Thank you so much for your kind words, it's an honor to know you and be one of your uh, uh, teachers at one point in your life. Uh, you are doing very well for our, our Alaska Native women as a role model. Uh, and your mother is totally an inspiration to all of us, as, uh, also a, as a retired school teacher. So thank you so much for being here, and we really appreciate you sharing with our community members. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. This next song that I'll be presenting to you today was composed in partnership with my late great aunt, Shkate Jesse Johnny, who was one of our well-respected elders here in our community. She was of the Chukunedi Brown Bear Tribe of Huna. My aunt helped me with the words to this song. It was made for the raising of one of the totem poles on the search campus, referred to as the Wellbriety Totem Pole. And this was done on October 14th, 2006. This song is more of a, what they call a chant song. These songs were used a long time ago for protection. In Tlingit, we call the word, it's called hechwa. It's like protection over everything and everybody that's uh, participating in this. It's uh, to keep things in a positive light so that no harm comes to anyone. So the words to the song are in Tlingit. And I will translate them. Hagukowe, 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 Ashuka degachtuat, Yiko ayachwan. It means get ready, get ready, get ready. We are all moving forward, we are all going ahead. Be of strong heart. Yeah, yeah, that is the end of the words to the song. Hagoo, go wet. Hagoo, go wet. Hagoo, 
the end of the song. <laughs> the next story that you're going to hear is a legend from the Tluknachadi, the Raven Coho clan, and it's a, one of my ancestors' stories. And the story is told by Qashatk in the Tlingit version, which you will not hear. Uh, what you're going to hear is the transcribed version of his daughter, Ethel Mackinnon, who worked at Sikh Native Education Program for many years transcribed it, and she's telling the story the way he would have told it in the Tlingit version. The name of the story is Tlunk, which is our great ancestor, our, one of our grandfathers from a long time ago, and he was a trapper. And in the story, you will hear that he had married a, a groundhog because he was trapping them, and it's a very interesting story of how our people um, have a close connection with the animal people long ago. And I hope that you enjoy this version. And Ethel Mackin is one of our strongest female uh, leaders here in our community of Sitka. And uh, very grateful to her for all of her years of teaching a lot of the students here in Sitka and the people of Sitka, including myself. Enjoy. The story belonged to the Tluknachadi, the Kuhu clan. Charlie was raised by the Tluknachadi clan. And they were the ones that told him the story. His mother and father would tell him these stories. He was told that there were seven men that had the name Kanachte. And all the men that were named Kanachte became Ichts. But the seventh man, Kanachti, did not have the powers that the other Kanachtis had. Again, let me repeat, Charlie, although was raised by his mother and father, his father was Tluknachadi. And usually when boys became a certain age, they were given to their uncles, and their uncles raised them. But Charlie was raised by his father, so he knew all the stories of the Tluknachadi, and this is one of them. This is the story about the last Kanachti. Uh, I should say the seventh Kanachti. He was not a man with powers. You have to use numbers on Kanachtis because uh, there was nine. Today, the ninth one is still alive. He does not have powers either, Charlie Joseph Jr. So this is a story about the seventh Kanachtis. He had an uncle that was named Tlunk. Tlunk. Hinka is where they lived. Khan on the other side of Latulia Bay. There's this big river, and that's where they lived alongside by the river. They lived there for a long, long time. Yes, to Aka. At that time, there was a big glacier there. The glacier went clear out to the ocean. They would cross a certain place on this glacier to go over to the other side. This place was called Astatlitk. This was a mountain. They would go there to hunt Tzach. Tzach is 
groundhog. And they would uh, hunt the groundhog from this place. They would trade the groundhog with the Copper River people. There would be trade and I would go among, amongst them, Copper River people and the Tukhnahadi. They would trade the groundhog furs for the copper, the copper uh, plates called Tina. They would make many things out of the groundhog skins. They would make blankets also. They picked all kind of things from this place. Jenwu, which is uh, is mountain goat. The people would cross the glacier at this one certain place at a certain time of year when they hunted groundhogs. The glacier had many crevices, so they tore down cloth, red cedar, and made them into planks. And the places where they would cross the crevices, they would put the planks down and they would cross over on this. When they put the planks across, one man would cross over. Once he crossed over, there would be one man on one end of the plank and another man on the other. So they crossed one by one, so nobody would fall into the crevices. Once everyone crossed these crevices, then they would pull these planks off of there and they would keep on going. There were several of these crevices. Some were wide and some were narrow, but they just kept across. They'd, they'd have to carry these planks and, and put them across wherever they were crossing. Konakte's uncle, Klunk, was with this party that was on their way to hunt groundhog. Klunk was already at a, an age where he's uh, getting old. Once they got to the place where they were going, there was places called Tatuk there. It's uh, like caves. That's what they used uh, for shelter. They set this place up for where they would hunt from. It is from this place they would go, and it's called Atnate, Atnate they would go after what they were looking for and set out traps for, for the groundhog. Their traps were called Khata and it was set up like deadfalls. They set up these traps such as that look like deadfall in front of the den of the groundhog. Each morning, each man would go and Look at his trap. Each man know where his traps were set. Out of the men, Kanachtis' uncle, Klunk, was the only one that did not have anything so far. All the men were kept uh, trapping their groundhog. They were getting satisfied with their catch. They were getting plenty of groundhog, and they would carry it back to their shelter. Klunk was the only one that wasn't getting anything. He had finally caught one groundhog, an old female groundhog. The Tlinga people called this Tain Kla. It was the name of an old groundhog, a female groundhog. On the belly part of this groundhog had no fur. It, it was bald. After the men were satisfied and got their catch, and we're going to start back for home. Klunk told them, I do not have anything yet. Go on without me. I will stay here until I have caught some groundhog. So everyone started back home without him. They left him behind there.
Hunk Jan meaning he was wearing a mountain goat's fur as a blanket he had around him. When the sun came up, he went among his traps to see if he had anything. They were set up just as the way they were set up the day before. There was nothing on his traps. After he had went through all his traps and saw that there was nothing on any of them, he went to a place where the sun was shining real bright and lay down there. The place where he laid down was all covered with grass and nice, and he fell asleep. All of a sudden, as he was sleeping, he heard something, and it said, I am here, and I can help you. Then looked up and looked around. He could not see anyone. He was looking. He looked down below him, and he saw a big groundhog. It was sitting on a large rock. The, wrong, the, the groundhog was big and had black fur. Klunk laid down again to try to sleep, but just before he fell asleep, he heard the voice again. I am here and I can help you. Hunk then got up and looked around again. He did not see anything. The only thing he could see was the groundhog sitting on the rock below him. Hunk thought to himself, my blanket has a hole in it. I will watch the groundhog through the hole. Maybe it is him that is talking. I will watch him. So he laid himself down and watched the groundhog. It seemed like a long time passed. And while he was watching the groundhog, it got up before him. As the groundhog started toward him, it looked human. To Hunk, he saw, he saw the groundhog was a lady. When this lady came by him, she said, So Hlung, he answered her, What is it you can help me with? The woman answered, Get up and come with me. When he got up, the groundhog still looked like a woman to him. She then led him up the mountain to where a river was coming down. When they reached the river's edge, she reached into her pouch. He's, she still looked like a human being to him, and reached into a pocket like, and she brought out a root, and she said, Sacha, eat it. And he chewed the root chewed it very good and then swallowed it. Then she told him to drink a lot of water, as strong as uh, he was and as much as he could hold. So he drank as much as he could hold of the water. Then she told him to lay down. While he was laying down, he got very sick and started to throw up. He was throwing up nothing but slime. It foamed in his mouth. After he stopped throwing up all this slime, the woman reached into her pouch again and gave him another root to chew. After he got through chewing it, she told him to drink as much water as he could hold. After he was done chewing and eating this, she told him to sit. As he sat, this root and the water start warming up in him, and it got him sick, and he started throwing up again. This time, very little slime came with what he was throwing up. 
After he got through throwing up, she gave him another root, and she told him to chew this and swallow it and drink as much water as he could hold. And he did this, and she asked him to sit down again. This time, when he started to throw up, it was all clear water. There was no slime in it. And she told him this was good. She says, good. Come with me, and we'll go to where you stay. They started to walk to where he stayed, and they called this place Shashohidi, where he lived. When they got there to where he was living, she told him, see that club there? Pick it up and we will go. And he, she told him, you will go to this side. And as he was going, he saw all these groundhogs and he would walk right up to them and club them and kill them. He was getting a lot of groundhog. His cave that he was living in was getting filled. His wife was helping him skin them. They were, they were getting an awful lot of groundhog. When he was satisfied with all that he had killed, he tied them together and started packing them. And he packed them to where he lived. He and the woman then got married, and the woman would skin the groundhogs for him. The place he was staying was getting very full, filled up with meat that were drying on the ceiling, and the skins were drying on frame. The next morning, the woman gave him the club again and told him to hunt only in this one area and not to hunt in the other area. This time it was becoming very hard to hunt groundhog. There was not much left there. He had killed off most of the groundhog in that area. So he thought to himself, as soon as I am out of my wife's view, I will go to the other side and hunt. That was the area his wife told him not to hunt him. His wife then said to him, Did I not tell you not to hunt in that area? You have killed my mother, my father, my brothers and sisters too. The woman then said to the groundhogs, All that were stacked in the rafters the, all over, she says, Come with me. The groundhogs that were all there all got up and followed the, wo the woman. She started out to her own home. Plunk started after her. As Plunk tried to catch the woman, his hand would go right through her. Plunk could only see the woman as his wife, not as a grand groundhog. He followed her to her den. In the fall, the groundhogs go into their dens and stay there all winter. Plunk stayed with them. It was at this time his people decided to go see how Plunk was doing. The people went to where Hlunk was staying, but they did not find him. They searched the area for him. One man saw Hlunk sitting on the rock with a groundhog. This was Hlunk's wife. As the man came close to them, Hlunk and the groundhog wife got up and went into the groundhog den. The men went back to the house. The man went back to the house and told the rest of the men what happened. The next morning they went to the area where they had seen Klunk, and he was again sitting on the rock 
with, with his groundhog wife. As they started to get close to him, he went into the den again with the groundhog. The people went back to their home and told what had happened. They went to Kanachtif and told them what they had witnessed about his uncle. Kanachtif was then married to an older woman. He was very upset at the news of his uncle. So Kanachtif decided he was going to purify himself. He moved out of the house. He did not stay with his wife. He did not stay with her for one year. He wanted to get ready and go and trap his uncle. He didn't want him living with the groundhog people. Flunk stayed with the groundhog people all that winter. Late spring, when the groundhogs come out of their den, was when Kanachti was waiting for. He went to the area where the men had last saw seen Klung and the groundhog together. When they showed him, when they showed Kanachti where they saw Klung, sure enough, he was sitting on a rock with the groundhog. And as they saw the men, they went into their den again. Kanachti then made the deadfall trap and placed it in front of the den. The next morning, when Kanachti checked the traps, trap he had set, his uncle Flunk was in the trap. He was dead. Kanachti number seven did not have any powers yet like the other men that have had this name, Kanachti. When Kanachti trapped his uncle, he cut his tongue off. They didn't say what he done with it, but this gave Kanachti the power of the Icht. And when the spirits would come to Kanachti, this is how he learned of his uncle's adventure, of what happened to him when the men had left him. And this woman, Groundhog, had come to see him. This is how they know the story of Flunk. They then, they then burned his body they carried his bones home and buried it. This is the story of Flunk, as the Luknachadi know it. Thanks for joining us to learn from our grandparents' teachings. Stay tuned next month as we share more stories, songs, and traditional ways of living. If you have a story you'd like to share, please reach out at storytelling at kcaw.org. We'd love to hear from you. Technical support for this program was made possible in part with funding by the Rasmussen Foundation, administered by the Alaska State Council of the Arts and Art Change, Inc.